welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. The other day I was flying, and I, uh, when I fly, I get the USA Today, and I noticed on the cover that it said, Moss is Favre's new target, so that kind of caught my eye, you know, as a Vikings fan. And then the article right below it really caught my eye. It said, How America Sees God. I thought, How America Sees God. I thought, I have got to see if this article has anything in it about, you know, like, why God, why, and pain, and suffering, and I mean, I wonder if they address that, because that's got to be part of how America sees God. And it was interesting, as I opened up the article and started reading it, it was amazing that they were talking all about pain and suffering and judgment. And, you know, even the question they asked, uh, when disasters like Hurricane Katrina strike, where is God? And they said, did God cause it? Did God allow it? Did God have nothing to do with it? Because, see, we're trying to make sense of of tragedy and crisis, and we're trying to figure out, where does God play in all this? And how does this work? And what makes sense? And they said, you know, do you see God as authoritative or benevolent or critical or distant? And so they kind of asked, you know, what do you think? And really how you viewed God was how you viewed crisis. If you viewed him as uh, authoritative God, you just thought that he threw tornadoes at you and hurricanes at you and tsunamis at you and that he was always throwing stuff at you. And if you saw God as benevolent, you saw that in the midst of the tragedy, God is like a rescuer, and he's like pulling people out of the fire and pulling them out of the tsunami and rescuing them. And all the heroic stories were, you know, like God is there, and in the midst of the crisis, man, he is rescuing people. And then, of course, people that had the distant God were like, God just doesn't care. God didn't cause it. God doesn't care, and he's nowhere to be found. And I really feel sorry for those people because I don't think God is distant, and I don't think that each of those categories, I don't think you could say God is authoritative only or benevolent or only critical. You know, I, I don't think he's like that. I think God's so much more than we can define. And it's neat to see that the world's trying to pay attention. And they're trying to see where is God in the tragedy and the crisis. But I think in this series that we're looking at here, we're going to understand where is God in this. Where is God? And we're going to have a better understanding. Who is he? What's his heart? And what is he thinking? And what should we do in the midst of the crisis. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, we're going to look at the story of Job. And for those of you that missed last week, we talked about moving from the why to the what now. Moving from the why question to the what now. The what now is a much better question to ask. What now? Now in the midst of this crisis, what do I do? Because I may not figure out the why, but what now? And I want to let you know that last week at all four of our campuses, a total of 77 people gave their life to Jesus Christ because of that. Isn't that awesome? Very exciting. So we're looking at Job, and we're moving from why to what now. We're kind of going to just focus in on his life. 
Next week, we're going to say, like, why does God permit it? Where's the purpose? Is there, how do we find the answer, and how do we get to our moment of revelation if he's going to give us a little answer on this earth? But um, for those of you that missed, and a little summary about Job, Job is just living a good life. He's very rich. He's got 10 kids. Things are going well. There's a little battle that goes on in the heavenlies where Satan says, I've been looking around trying to destroy people. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? I think he'll stand up under anything you'll throw at him. And so Satan throws all these things at him, kills his 10 children, destroys everything he owns. And he was very affluent. And Satan goes and destroys all of that. And yet Job stands strong. Job stands strong and comes out on the other side, uh, doesn't sin against God, and in the final uh, part of the book, God gives him 10 more kids, and God gives him double of what he lost in material possessions, but we know that between chapter 1 and chapter 42, there's a lot of pain and anguish. By the way, you're supposed to be reading Job right now. How are you doing? All right, 42 chapters. Let's get with it. Come on, church. Come on. It's a good book to read. And I want you to read this. I want you to understand. I think God's going to speak to you apart from the sermon. Now, one of the things that I just look at this story and I see that life just comes along with surprises. How many know that? I mean, you are just minding your everyday normal life and all of a sudden life comes with a surprise and life is unpredictable. We have plans and we have strategies, but life is unpredictable. And I think in reading the book of Job, I think life should come with a disclaimer. How many know what I'm talking about? It should come with like a little warning label, like it, you have to disclaim it. Probably something like this right here. Ah, life. What a miracle. What a blessing. Here you are at the beginning of life with such a bright future. The whole world is before you. A world filled with endless possibilities. Life will bring you potential for joy, happiness, laughter and friendship, rainbows and ice cream. So many benefits from one simple thing. Life. What a gift. Warning. Life may also cause itching, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, cellulite, rapid weight gain, hair loss, weird hair growth, hangnails, canker sores, toenail fungus, and sleep loss. Getting picked last for your school dodgeball teams. It's on your picture day. Boyfriends working up with you on prom night. Bed wedding. Husband forgetting your anniversary. Pants that make your rear end look big. Rear ends that make your pants look big. Rain on your wedding day. Dog getting run over by a car. Headgear. Awkward body odor. Family vacations filled with strife. 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. Parents who force you to get a perm and wear your grandma's Christmas sweater. Do not take life if you are prone to stress, anxiety, chest pains, fear of the unknown or fear of the known if you don't like the thought of somebody saying hurtful words to you or if you don't like the thought of your basement filling with water if you experience nausea heartburn heartbreak acts of god bankruptcy loss of hope loss of job loss of wallet stiffness fatigue or loneliness lasting longer than four hours stop taking life immediately and call your doctor so enjoy life you just never know what can happen yes Let me just tell you this, no matter what you face, life is worth living. It is. Job in Job chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but you can trust me. Job is saying, I, I don't know if it would have been better if I wouldn't have been born even. I, I mean, I look at all the pain and the suffering and I think it might have been better if I wasn't even born. And I'm going to tell you this, no matter what you're going through, life is worth living. Life is unpredictable. Life throws things at you. But life is worth living. And I don't care if you get 30 seconds on this earth. 
it was worth it. There's a purpose, there's a plan, and we've got to trust God. And those 30 seconds were worth it. If you get 100 years, it's worth it every day that God gives you. Life is a beautiful thing and is worth it, and God has a plan and a purpose for you. Now, as we look at Job, I'm going to tell you this. First thing again that I notice about Job, Job didn't do anything wrong. I keep going back to that, but he doesn't do anything wrong. Life just has a way of throwing things at you, and he doesn't do anything wrong. Matter of fact, God says this about Job, that he's doing everything right. He's doing everything right. Read with me in Job chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Think about this. God says something about Job that he doesn't say about me, that he doesn't say about you. There's no one else on the earth like this guy. This guy has done nothing wrong. This guy is perfect. He says blameless, upright, fears God, shuns evil. This guy is already living an amazing life for God. And in the midst of this, here he is, he's doing amazing, and then comes the crisis. And you can be living a perfect life, and all of a sudden a crisis will come. Things will happen. It's just the way life is. And in the midst of this, uh, Job is already amazing. And I don't want you to miss this, because as I study the life of Job, he has moved way, way, way up on my list. He is like in my top ten list of people I want to talk to in heaven now, because I think God said this to him before he faced the crisis, before the crisis. Now, a lot of people are great after the crisis. You know what I mean? They're like, you know, if you ever watch the Olympics, they're like, yeah, they had this disease and that disease and couldn't walk, and then they fought through it, and the crisis made them stronger, and now they won the Olympic gold. And you're like, that's amazing. You know, from the crisis, they become great. Okay? And you look through the Bible. It's like, Moses, oh, I can't do it. I, I murdered somebody. I stutter and I got this. And then God, some, God gets him through the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then after a while, he's just an amazing man of God. Jacob is a, is a cheater and kind of a conniver kind of guy. And then he wrestles with God, has a moment, gets a limp, gets his name changed. And then he's this man of God. So a lot of people are great after a crisis, but Job was great before the crisis. And if you can get a hold of this, Get strong before the crisis hits. Get strong before the crisis hits. Because they're going to happen. That's just life. It's going to happen. Things are going to come against you. But be like Job. And, and after the crisis, he went from like amazing man of God to like, you know, almost unreachable. I mean, for a guy to go through what he did and to be that strong and for God to say, you know, you did a great job. You, did a, you didn't sin and you did a great job. I'm restoring this stuff to you. What an amazing guy Job is. See, because the devil thought that Job was just bigger on the outside than on the inside. Job, Job was really strong on the inside and had a great thing going on the outside, but on the inside, he had the real deal. And I'll tell you this, you have to be strong on the inside and not just flashy on the outside if you're going to make it in this world following Jesus Christ, Okay? If you are here today because this is all show and you're here like, got to have a church, right? You got to look good in the community and you got to show up and, you know, kind of be there. And at least Pastor Rob keeps us awake and it's kind of entertaining. All right. You know, 
We got to be here, and you know, I won't raise my hands, I won't do that, but I'm just here. Everybody sees me, I nod, let them know I'm here. If it's all show and not really inside, if it's not a reflection of what God's doing in your life, and you're not here because you're like, man, uh, God, it's real inside. It's not just a show. I don't do this because I have to. I don't get the bulletin and bring it home to my family to prove that I went to church, you know. I'm really here. I'm really here. It's not just show, it's inside. If you're all show and no go, you're going to be defeated someday. You're going to be defeated. And I know all show and no go. When I was in high school, I had a 1970 Chevy Nova. And it didn't have the 350 in it or any bigger engine. It had a 250 six-cylinder. But I wanted to have a cool car because how many know cool cars are important to teenage boys, right? And so Chevy Nova was a cool car. So I went out and bought that giant hood scoop and bondoed it onto the hood. Got the little pins that hold down the hood because the car goes so fast, you've got to have pins that hold it down on the hood, right? You know, I had the 27 speakers in the car and the really cool looking. And my wife says, I'm so glad I did not know you back then. <laughs> but it was all show and no go. And it couldn't squeal out and it would never beat anybody in a race. But I did learn this, that if you turned really, really hard, the wheel would kind of come up up on the one side, and then it would squeal, right? You know? And that's important to a teenage boy, you know, I got that, and doing that. And, uh, you know, it was all show and no go, and if anybody pulled up, like, you know, and I'm like, look at him like, you're not even worth my time, you know? Because I knew on the inside there was nothing there. I couldn't handle a test or a challenge because there was nothing there. Nothing. All show, no go. And some of you are praying, Lord, no challenges, no struggles, no nothing. There's nothing on the inside right now. It's all show, no go. The devil thought that Job was all show and no go. And how wrong was he? How wrong was he? Job was like, it's real. There's more under here than you realize. Man, what an amazing guy. And don't, don't miss this in the story of Job either. There is an enemy that is attacking us. If you read the story of Job, it wasn't like God was up in heaven and he goes, I'm looking for somebody today that needs a little something-something on them today, you know? I'm looking for somebody that needs a little wrath poured out on them. I'm looking for somebody that I'm going to go after. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear into them today. That wasn't what God was doing. Satan said, I'm the one out there looking to destroy, to kill, to maim, to hurt, to crush, so don't ever forget, we have an enemy of our soul, an enemy that is coming after us and wants to steal your testimony. And he thinks you're smaller on the inside than you are on the outside. He just thinks it's all show and no go. And if he can crush your testimony, he gets victory in that. So the enemy is coming after you. And don't forget, I mean, when you're struggling, when something comes against you, I think it's very natural to look inside and say, did I do anything wrong? Did I do anything wrong? And if you're thinking, I didn't do anything wrong, I'm really good, I'm not, I'm not harboring any secret sin. Is this an attack of the enemy on me right now? Is this an attack on the enemy? And I will think that many times when I'm going through stuff. Is this an attack of the enemy on me right now? Now, I don't do that like I stub my toe. I'm like, oh, is there a demon in that chair? You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't do like that, okay? But if we're facing a crisis, I want to know, is this an attack? Is the enemy of my soul coming against me? The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. That he's going to bring up charges against me and attacks against me. And I've got to know that he's out there and he's coming against me. And so whenever I'm facing something, I think, you know, is this an attack right now? But I want to let you know this. The Bible says this. 
Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So don't ever, ever, ever for a minute think that the devil has the upper hand. Even if he's attacking you, never think that he has the upper hand. I want to point this out to you that God permits us to face things, things that we don't deserve, but there's a plan in it. But let me talk about the first part. Don't miss that God permits the devil to do this. The devil wants to do it, but God permits it. And God set the rules that the devil had to follow. And notice this, the devil doesn't break the rules, but he goes and does everything possible that he can against Job, but he doesn't break the rules. So think about that. God is laying down the rules. God is setting the boundaries, and he's permitting this to happen. And in the midst of that, you say, why, why, why? And I got to tell you, God has a plan. He has to. I mean, you look at what's going on in Job's life, and Job endured all this, and there had to be a plan, and it shows us that there's a spiritual battle going on, and we can draw strength from Job and all this, but there has to be a plan. And if you doubt that there's a plan in anything that you're going through, let me just say this to you. I'm old enough to remember the movie Karate Kid. How many remember Karate Kid, right? And they came out with a remake now with a new Karate Kid, little version, you know. And, uh, but the original, because I'm old enough to remember the original here. Remember the little kid, Danielson, he's getting beat up, and Mr. Miyagi goes and he said, I want to learn karate. He's like, oh, Danielson, you know, wax on, wax off, you know, and he's doing that thing, right? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I want to learn karate. You got some cars, you know, I'll wax your car for you. So he waxes all like five or ten cars. He's like, I want to learn karate. He's like, uh, Danielson, paint the fence, you know. He's like, oh, no, no, I want to learn karate. I want to learn karate. He's like, paint the fence, paint the fence, side to side, up and down, doing all that. And finally, he has that moment where he's like, I want to learn karate. And you got me waxing your cars and painting your fence. And all of a sudden, he goes, wax on. And he does it and throws a punch and he blocks it. And he's like, oh. <laughs> right? Like, there's a purpose to this waxing and this painting and this side to side. I got it. I got it. Okay. If Mr. Miyagi had a plan, God has a plan. That's what I'm saying. You're like, God, I am serving you faithfully. I am doing this. I'm over and over. He's like, you know, keep doing it. Wax on. I've got a plan. I believe that with all my heart. I really do. And, I, and, and it helps me to make sense of the things that I'm facing that God has to have a plan. He has to. I think about, I have a three-year plan, a five-year plan, and right now I'm working on a 20-year plan. Because I'm looking at, all right, 65 to 45, what am I going to do here? I've got a thing, and I've got to strategize, and I'm trying to think things out. And I'm thinking, how many campuses is, is kind of in our heart? Maybe God has more than that. What does he want us to do? I've got all these years. How am I going to plan and strategize? And what do I want to do on a global level? And maybe we want to plan a campus in Europe, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking of all this stuff, and I'm thinking, if I'm strategizing 20 years ahead, God is strategizing. God is strategizing. God has a plan. And although it doesn't make sense sometimes, he has a plan. Now, when we start to doubt God's plan, you know what we do? We take over. God, I don't think you have a plan in this. and I'm going to just go ahead and do this because I don't like this. And so I'm going to go do this. And so I'm going to take over. And God's saying, no, 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 don't take over. You know, like Karate Kid. Like, I'm going to go buy a karate video because you got me waxing on. I'm going to learn karate here. And you're like, I'm going to go buy this because you just obviously aren't taking care of that. You know, don't do that. Don't do that. Keep doing what God told you to do. Be faithful. He has a plan. Now, in the crisis and in the struggling, here's a temptation that's going to come your way. 
You're going to go and you're going to break one of two ways in crisis, in struggles, in trauma, in tragedy. You're going to break one of two ways. You are either going to break all in with God or you're going to break away from God. It's just the way it works. People either break and they say, God, I've got nothing left. I'm holding on to you with everything I got because you're all that's left. I have lost everything. And it's like you're grabbing his leg and you're like, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. I am all in. And people say, you're like a fanatic. Yeah, because that's all I got. I am hanging on for dear life. Or you'll break the way that says, I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. A tragedy like this, God, I'm out. I would beg you to break the way of hold on with dear life. But many people, they just say, if God does that, I'm out. I'm out. I was reading a book called Too Soon Old, Too Late Smart. It's just a book about practical wisdom. And the guy said, when my six-year-old son died of leukemia, I said, I will never pray another prayer again. I'm done with God. He said, I'm done. He said, any God that would allow that to happen doesn't deserve a minute of my time again. I envy you that have religion, but I am out. Then he says, but deep in my heart, I long for a union with my son. So I really wonder what kind of agnostic I really am. Some people break that way. I don't know the pain and the tragedy that he's faced, but he broke that way. And others break towards God and cling to him with everything they've got. That's the way we've got to go. Now let me ask you one of those questions that you might not like, but I said I'd ask a few questions in this series, right? What would it take for you to walk away from God? Think about it. You say, well, if something happened to my daughter, something happened to my son, something happened to my grandchild. Lord, if something happened to my spouse... I'd probably walk away. I'd just ask you this then. If you'd walk away if it happened to you, why don't you walk away right now from God? Because it's happening to somebody else. Think about that. If your faith is only going to work as long as God is good and a tragedy would cause you to walk away, tragedies are happening to people all the time. So you might as well just give up. Or have the resolve right now to say, God, no matter what, I don't leave because it happens to them. If anything happens to me, I'll stay strong with you no matter what. I will stay strong no matter what. I, nothing, nothing will get me to walk away from you, God. I may not understand it. I may not like it. I may be gut-wrenching in pain till the day I die, but I will not let go of you. And I think we need to settle that now before anything comes our way. Before anything comes our way, we say, God, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, help me to live that way. Build up the inside so I'm stronger on the inside than I am on the outside. God, help me to have that. I don't want to walk away from you no matter, no matter what. Do you know what a mark of maturity is? A mark of maturity is walking with God even though there's been crisis and tragedy and turmoil and pain and suffering. You say, I am determined to trust, submit, and obey. 
I am determined. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. And, and then instead of the devil stealing your testimony, which is what he was trying to do because he's attacking you, he's trying to destroy you, and he's trying to get you to say, I give up. I give up. Write the book. Tell everybody God's no good. I give up. And instead you say, God is good. I don't care. It doesn't matter. God is good. I don't quit. I'm strong. And all of a sudden, instead of destroying your testimony, the world walks around and goes, what do they have that I don't? It's an amazing thing. We trust God no matter what. Now, one last thing in this. This goes for all of us, whether we're in the suffering or somebody else is in suffering or whatever. Watch your words. If you read Job, and you should because you've been asked by your pastor to do that, you have been asked to read Job. Come on, do it. Right? Are we disciples or attenders? What are we? Right? Attenders say, oh, that was a nice suggestion. Disciples say, all right, if my pastor's discipling me and trying to help me to become more like Christ, then I'm going to do that. It's not unreasonable. He didn't ask me to, you know, jog to Texas and back or something. You know, he asked me to read Job, okay? But if you're reading Job, you'll realize that we have to watch our words. The Bible says that Job vented. It gives a whole list of the things that he said, but it says he didn't sin. Another thing that was amazing that he did is he worshipped. In the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of all that's going on, he falls to his knees and worships. What a great way to use your words to say, worship, worship. I worship you, God. You're all I've got. Okay? Watch your words. Now, Job was able to say things, and, and God's able to handle what you can say. And even if you cross the line, and Job did not, but if you do cross the line, and I believe this, God is big enough to handle what you say if you cross the line. But I will tell you this, if you cross the line, you better apologize. Think about it. If Connor or Logan were to say this to me, and they never have, but if they were to say, Dad, I hate you. Okay, I'm big enough to handle that. But how many know if we're going to reconcile, they're going to have to apologize, right? Okay, so I think God is big enough to handle your anger, your venting, your whatever. But if you cross the line, you better apologize. And he's willing to forgive you. He's willing to take you and just love on you. He's ready. He's ready. But watch your words when you're in the struggle. And for those of us that are friends to people that are going through the struggle, watch our words. Because you know what Job's wife said? The only account of her words are in Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept from God the good and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now I understand his wife. You've got to realize this. It's, the book is called Job, but his wife just lost 10 kids too. His wife just lost 10 kids too. So she's just got to be in pain. She gave birth to these children. She just lost 10 kids. She lost every dollar too. There is no money. Her husband is covered in sores and just looks terrible. And so she's going through pain, but her words are not what God wanted. So you have a choice. You can have life-giving words. You can have destructive words. And I know that you're hurt, and I know that you're in your pain. And the beautiful thing is, you know what? God restored to Job all these things. He gave him 10 more kids. He gave him double of his possessions, but he kept the same wife. And even though she said all the wrong things and said terrible, terrible things, God still had grace and mercy and said, your wife is your wife, grace and mercy for her. Now his friends, they said stupid things, really stupid things. 
They said things that were not life-giving. And they said, it's your fault and all this. And God, in the end, if you get there, at the end of the book, God says, guys, you said wrong things. And you misrepresented me. And I'm upset with you. Go do these sacrifices and repent of what you did. And by the way, have Job lay hands on you and pray for you. Humble yourself. Job is going to bring back righteousness on you with his prayer. And after Job prays, then God says he forgave him. And it was all good with those guys. Watch your words. Don't say crazy things to people that are suffering. Don't say to somebody that's lost a child, well, God just needed another person in the choir. Don't say that. Don't say, well, they got their wings now. Don't say that. You know what? The best thing that Job's friends did was they sat there for seven days in silence. And if you don't know what to say, say nothing. But be there. Clean their house. Wash their car. Mow their lawn. Make them a meal. Cry with them. Rub their back run their errands, do whatever, be there again, be there again. Don't worry, you don't have to say anything. Give them a hug, cry some more, help them out, cry some more. That's what they're going to remember. They won't remember what you say, and what you say many times will be wrong. Man, what rich, rich lessons. God's plan is confusing, but it's always the best. It's always the best. We don't understand it but it's always the best. And so I want to pray for you if you're hurting, if you're struggling right now, you don't have to identify yourself. We just know that in a church this large, there's people that are hurting, and I want to pray for you now before we leave. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us as we minister to people that are hurting and ministering to people that need a touch from you, that they would receive that in their pain, in their tragedy, in their crisis. It doesn't make sense. They don't understand it. They're looking for hope, and you're offering it today. You're offering peace. You're offering hope. And I pray, God, that right now in their hurt and in their pain, in their tragedy and their crisis, whatever it is they're facing, God, you would lift them up and give them what they really need, which is you. Give them what they really need, which is you, which only you can give. So we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can you stand with me today?